This is Michael Leary with More Than Meets the IRB, a series of conversations about research participants and the people who study them. More Than Meets the IRB is a joint initiative of Washington University in St. Louis and public responsibility in medicine and research. Primer advances the highest ethical standards in the conduct of biomedical, behavioral, and social science research. Primer accomplishes this mission through education, membership services, professional certification, public policy initiatives, and community building. Welcome back to More Than Meets the IRB. As we head into the last few months of 2017, we are all beginning to think about the new regulations and how we might implement them by January 2018. This is going to be a challenging few months. There is a great deal of detail to consider in the new regulations. We are faced with developing new procedures and policies. We're going to have to think about some fundamental concepts differently. And we're going to have to find ways to share all this new information with our research communities. But what a momentous occasion this is. We are all now participating in the first major revision of the regulations for research involving human subjects since they were first drafted. Even though we are about to get bogged down in a great many details, this is history in the making. To remind us of this broader perspective, we had opportunity to talk with Gigi McMillan about how institutional review boards have such an interesting history. Hopefully, many of you are aware of Primer's People and Perspectives Project. If not, go check it out as soon as you've listened to this conversation. People and Perspectives is a large and growing collection of oral histories about research involving human and animal subjects. Gigi has been able to talk with everyone from architects of our regulations to some of the most fresh and interesting voices in research ethics. While we are always negotiating policy, there is a lot of personal history and biography in our field. How do people become research ethicists or IRB professionals? How do people end up on our IRBs? These stories matter, and we get to hear from Gigi why this is the case. Gigi McMillan is the content manager for Primer's People and Perspectives. She is also currently the graduate program director for the Loyola Marymount University Bioethics Institute and director of community engagement for narrative inquiry and bioethics. Several years ago, I wanted to do a creative project about the evolution of research ethics because I had learned so much as an IRB member and a subject advocate and some of my consulting work for SACHARP. And I asked Joan Racklin if she was interested in exploring the idea of a book where I interviewed people and maybe it was a book with several different chapters from different people's points of view about their role in the birth right. of research ethics. And she says, wow, that's a great idea. But I don't want a book. I want a website. <laughs> and I said, Much oh. grander. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Give me three months to research that concept. And I spent three months looking around at what existed in terms of websites about that topic mm-hmm. or about oral history in general. On, on research ethics and around that? Well, I looked to see if there was anybody of knowledge anywhere about personal, personal narrative per, yeah, about yeah. research ethics. And there wasn't, not in any organized fashion. There were repositories, but they weren't particularly accessible. And also, um, 
I looked at just the concept of oral history. Right. And I came back with a proposal to Joan. I said, well, okay, I'm willing to help you do this project, and this is what I think it might look like. And uh, she talked to the Primer Board, and they agreed to invest in this idea okay. of a... Oh, good for them. Yeah, well, good for them. Um, it was, I think, kind of a, a risk for them, but we had really good players, right? So Joan had the vision, I had the project management um, skills and the, the passion for the narrative, and Anne Mead was their webmaster for Primer Already, and right. so she knew how to put that part together. How to do all the back-end stuff. Yeah. Because it's huge. It is huge. Uh, right now, uh, we have more than 500 pieces of video on the website, and um, they're all keyworded, tagged, searchable, so, and it's open to the general public. You don't have to be a Primer member in order to have access to it. Yes. So what kinds of things, if I went to the People in Perspectives website, what kinds of things would I see? Well, our mission was to include video, audio, and text right. narrative, which is pretty all-encompassing. And we thought the video was the hardest component, so we did that first. Okay. And that was really difficult, and it ended up being the only thing we did. We tried to do some audio part, but the only way we could do that would be to lift the audio from the existing video interviews, right. which is why would you do that? And it's nice to see people talk. It's nice to see their it's faces. It's a living history. It is a living history, and, and the text part didn't work really at all, because who's going to write Yes. spend the time to invest yeah. writing a text for a website that they're just going to download the PDF. So that part didn't make sense, really. Um, we still have the capability to include the other medium, but I think that the videos are the strength of the project. So if you go to the website, you'll see the latest three interviews that were um, taken. If you click on them, you get a, f a link to a YouTube video, and underneath that is a table of contents with timestamps. Yeah, it's very well laid out. So you can look at the maybe 10 to 12 things the person talked about and and you could go to that timestamp in the video if that's mm -hmm. the only thing. And you, you can skip ahead if you want to you see that. You can skip that, ahead. That, yeah, it's, I find it very, it has a lot of utility. It's very useful. I think I think the, the an important part was that we also learned we had to make excerpts. So for every person we interviewed, there's a one hour full video and then there are three to six excerpts that are very topic-specific right. that are three to seven minutes long. This all sounds like a very personal journey for you. It sounds like this whole project emerged out of something that you really wanted to hear or see about research ethics. Yeah. I wanted to know why these people were doing the work <laughs> that they do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this odd crew of HRPP and IACUC folk. What everyone, makes them tick? Everyone is so passionate. And they come from all these different places. And they yes. all have such different personalities. And they all care so very much. Right. And it's really hard to do this job. And they keep on... I can on, attest to that. Yeah. <laughs> and they keep on going. And I wanted to know why. And and besides, I'm a nosy parker. I mean, I, <laughs> I want to I ask... 
like as a little kid and you know uh, why do you why do you do this thing I mean for example you know Ivar is this incredible musician and he he rewrites songs with you know IRB lyrics and performs them in front of these thousands of people and you know Gary Chadwick is is a National Geographic caliber wildlife photographer. Oh, really? I mean, yeah. there's all these yeah, these yeah. things. There's they, they all have these other kinds of talents, and and that's all wrapped into their who they are as a person, and into their it, it's part of their passion they bring to their work. So I wanted to know why. I wanted to where they come from. Yeah. It also seems like there's an element of the preservation of an institutional memory here. That's so much of what we do in the research ethics setting or in the more operational side in IRBs and, and IACUCs. It's spelled out in the regulation, but there's this tremendous body of, of oral history and precedent mm -hmm. and tradition around what we do, which really is the work. And it, when people leave us, we lose that, that institutional memory. And it, that, I think one of the most important aspects of people and perspectives is it's kind of proving that to be true. Well, yeah, so this was one of the, the points that Joan brought up early in the project, is that if, if the field of bioethics and research ethics is only, say, 45 years old, yes, and the leaders in the field 45 years ago were 40, <laughs> at this moment they're 80 and 85, and we had better talk to them now on camera while we can. Right. Because the nuances of what they did and why they did it way back when will be lost unless we ask them. And that's so important because we might puzzle over the wording of a regulation or why it is that the Belmont report was framed a certain way. And in people and perspectives, you can actually hear founders talk, well, this is what was happening in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. And I love listening to Charlie McCarthy talk <sighs> about what it was like to actually be a drafter of the regulations and the backstory to some of the subparts. The hockey. It really, it, it really makes us understand better uh, why we're reading what we're reading when we're looking into regulations, which makes us better users of the regulations, I think. Well, I think it um, reminds us, or it illustrates in a very personal way, the human uh, component to okay. how the regulations were formed. And when you see these people talk about it and you see the facial expression they have yes. as they remember what they were doing, it adds life and context, context hu right. human context, right. into this body of regulations that is designed to protect human subjects. And I have to say, it's, it's kind of a kick of the pants to ask the same question to Charlie McCarthy, Bob Levine, Leroy Walters, Bob Veach, Tom, Tom Beecham, because they each have a little different answer to the same question. Right. And they don't always agree on exactly <laughs> what happened, but it's not in a, in a mean sort of con way that conflicts with uh, goodwill. Yeah. It's, they just lived each, they, they right. each lived that moment in a different way. Right. And what a, incredible gift to and now you, you have a you have that documented yeah you know a, a common problem in the IRB setting is helping IRB members understand their role what they do and we talk about that a lot and we talk about how IRB members need to just focus on the criteria for approval 
to ensure that we're reviewing things the right way, or we talk about educational programs for our IRB members that onboard them into the IRB properly. And when it comes to discussions about our non-scientific or our community members, um, how do we help them understand the critical role they play on the IRB, right? And I, I find that as an IRB director, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do is help people construct kind of a self-identity as an IRB member, which is very difficult to do. But the people and perspectives resources, I can confirm, are useful in that context. Mm-hmm. Was, that, was that part of your, your thinking throughout this process? Because you, you have a story to tell about how you became part of this mm-hmm. IRB world. Mm-hmm. I think what People in Perspectives does is it shows the face of the people who built the field. You hear their personal story. You see the spark of life that they gave to these regulations and there's an empathy. The, the nature of storytelling is, is it revolves around empathy. This, this is what humans do. I tell a story about myself and then as you empathize with me you become invested in my story. So as a new IRB member if I'm listening to Charlie McCarthy talk about how hard it was to make these regulations you know actually come to pass and he's sincere and you can tell how much it meant to him, I'm empathizing with him and now I have an emotional investment in his story. And I think it's that connection that's going to help me understand my role as a non-scientist but as a human person who is part of the review process. Bringing a biography to the review process, bringing a certain kind of you know, set of reasons for being in in the IRB deliberation process in the first place. If you ask somebody why they're an IRB member, most people will have a a pretty definitive answer for you. Mm -hmm. That I had a family member that was ill and was part of a research process and I I discovered this world of the IRB and then I felt to honor them I wanted to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Or uh, researchers that feel like participating is investing in their local Mm -hmm. research community. Or You know what I even like? I like the person who says, well, I was a bartender, I just got out of college, I needed a job. And so I started as a, as a staff member at the local university IRB, and when I'm interviewing this person, 20 years later, they're in a suit, and they, right. they're not embarrassed to tell me how they started, and they're almost sheepish when they say, and it grew on me. I began to see how important this was. Right. The people I was with, the researchers, the subjects, you know, they became a new person as they worked, as they grew up in the field. I love that. Right. So do you think then that there's maybe something here for even local IRBs to get a hold of about the story of how our, our, our local IRBs came to be and how our members came to be part of our IRB boards? Is there some kind of storytelling that we need to be doing locally that would enhance the way that IRBs work? Oh, I think that's a great idea. First of all, I think uh, talking to some of the founding fathers of research ethics and recording their stories on video is kind of like recording the founding fathers who wrote the Constitution of the United States and they can tell you why there's three principles and not four 
and that they argued over the fourth one and then ultimately decided not to put it in. Right. That's like really interesting stuff, right? So here yeah. we have that recorded and aren't we lucky that we have the technology that we can do that so easily. So now maybe for the first time it's we're able to do that. So here we are doing that. That gives context to the field in general. I think it's interesting that in the course of interviewing all these people, the thing that I learned is that most people in the world of research ethics, most professionals, had a very circuitous route to where they okay. ended up. We have philosophers, lawyers, right. doctors, artists, who for some reason or another answered a calling in themselves, took advantage of an opportunity, and ended up And here primer. they are. Yeah, and, and here they are. And listening to all of those people describe what it meant to them, how they, they responded to this sort of growing drive and passion for research ethics, that inspired me. Right. And so I went back to school. Right. <laughs> because I saw that there, it was never too late and you could, it didn't matter where you came from. And as it's long, very empowering. It's so empowering. It right? Really, it really and is. And I, I find that empowering in the nitty-gritty of what we do in compliance units because we're kind of stuck down here some days in the weeds in these really detailed questions, and we're navigating very complex conversations with people that can be emotionally charged, and we're feeling the brunt of antagonism at times from our research communities. Mm -hmm. So all that's present in the nuts and bolts work. And it can be hard to slog through that unless you have something grander, some story that it attaches to. So that when I'm way down here in the nitty gritty of a question about an IRB application, I'm sustained and empowered through that to work collaboratively with a PI and to think in terms of, of, of a service-oriented response toward an investigator when I know that all that nitty-gritty actually adds up to these very important research ethical and human subject protection oriented activities. So I'm always doing something quite grand actually, even if it doesn't seem like it at the time. And I, I find that people in perspectives, you get a really good glimpse of that, that story. This has been More Than Meets the IRB. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next time.